0: Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. been paying attention to the lectionary, that that is the three-year cycle of readings that we use on Sunday mornings, you will know that we are in year B and spending most Sundays in Mark's Gospel account. Just a little bit about Mark. Mark is the shortest of all four Gospels. He's the earliest of all the four Gospels, and most scholars think that at least two of the other Gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, probably used Mark as a template when they sat down to write their own accounts. For this reason, those three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are often called the synoptic gospels. They offer a a synopsis of Jesus' life and teaching. Some of the themes of the season after Pentecost, which is sometimes called ordinary time or the green season, since we wear green vestments. Some of the themes of this time of year are discipleship and growth. And so we often hear stories about Jesus' teaching Jesus telling parables about the kingdom of God, and Jesus healing those who were in some need, giving them new opportunity for life. Today we hear two such parables that are meant to point us, both as individuals but also as, as, a ch- as a church and as a society, closer to the kingdom of God. It's helpful to define what a parable is before we look a bit closer at what Jesus says to us today in Mark chapter 4. I like C.H. Dodd's definition. C.H. Dodd was a Welsh New Testament scholar, and he said that a parable is at its simplest a metaphor or a simile drawn from nature or common life. He says that it arrests the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and it leaves the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application so as to tease it into active thought. The parables that Jesus tells are often of an agrarian nature. He was using imagery common and familiar to those listening so as to tease their minds into active thought and that's certainly the case as we listen on to his stories today. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, he asks. In the first parable the kingdom is compared to a gardener out scattering seed. He goes to sleep he rises the next morning, day after day, but he's Not sure what's happening under the ground. He's not sure how the seeds will sprout, how they will grow into a plant. But he believes that it will uh, become a plant. He believes that it will eventually sprout up out of the earth. And then right after that, Jesus tells us a bit more about the kingdom of God. It's like a tiny mustard seed, he says, which when planted grows into a mighty shrub with branches for the birds of the air to rest on. No, I'm no gardener, just come to my house and take a look at my backyard sometime and you'll quickly see that. But I think I think I get what Jesus is trying to say to us today. I think what Jesus seems to be saying to us is that faithful and continual growth starts small. The Greek word that Jesus uses to describe the mustard seed in the second parable is microteron. And it means small, it means little, it means tiny, it even means microscopic, that's where we get that word from. And what what Jesus is trying to get us to notice is not that the kingdom of God is great, although that's certainly a true statement, but that the beginnings, the starting point, is as small as it can be as we begin to imagine what the kingdom of God can be like, as we begin to imagine what what our very lives can be like, Jesus says to us that it starts small, so small that you can hardly see it, but when it grows, when it comes into its own, you won't be able to miss it. None of us, none of us are born with everything figured out, with all knowledge, all power, all the abilities that we need to do great things in the world. Those things they start small. Those things take time to grow, time to mature, time to come into their own. We do that through schooling, by spending time with people who can mentor us, by honing our particular gifts and talents, by allowing ourselves, our lives to grow. In short, we've all got to grow. Catherine, my wife, and I saw The new documentary about Mr. Rogers the other day called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Go and see it. It's excellent, especially if you, like me, grew up watching Mr. Rogers, a saint in my house. At one point in the movie, one of the longtime friends of Fred Rogers said that that one of the hallmarks of commencement addresses or award speeches or interviews that he would give was that at some point, at some point, he would stop talking, he would stop talking for a bit and say something like this to an audience. He said all of us have special ones who have loved us. And then he would say, would you take just ten seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who have cared about you, and those who wanted what was best for you in life. Just take ten seconds to to think about those people, he would say. And then he would stop talking, he would take out his watch and look at it for ten seconds. And I think he was trying to make the point that that all of us have the ability to be great. All of us are, in fact, great. And that's because someone, or more likely, some ones have planted a seed within us. A seed of encouragement, a seed of hope, a seed of possibility. So it is with God and with God's kingdom. That's what Jesus seems to be saying to us today. Plant the tiny seeds of hope and life and change and watch them grow into something great and into something mighty. We're called to sow seeds of hope. And this, this isn't meant to be some sort of Pollyanna sort of hope, but, but hope that actually affects change in the world. Hope that stirs people up. Hope that calls us to action in the face of injustice. Maybe some of you were stunned as I was when I was watching the news this past week and heard that the Attorney General of the United States decided to use the scriptures, our sacred text, to defend his department's policy of separating separating immigrant children from their parents. Some 2,000 children have been separated from their parents in just a couple of months. 2,000 children taken away from their mothers and their fathers. He directed some of his remarks this past week to his church friends, as he called us, and so I think it's important for us, his church friends, to respond to what he said. Our holy book surely says some things that might cause us to wrinkle our nose, scratch our heads, drop our jaws in disbelief, or just tune it out altogether, but there can be no doubt, no doubt, that over and over and over again it speaks on behalf of the poor, on behalf of the persecuted, the oppressed, the stranger and the foreigner, and most especially poor, persecuted, oppressed children and their families. Should the Attorney General need some scriptures to support this view, the Church can offer him many, many different texts from both the Old and the New Testaments. The first place that I would point him to is one chapter earlier in the letter to the Romans, the very letter from which he was quoting, where we hear St. Paul say that the markers, the signs, the very indications that we are true Christians are these, that we let love be genuine that we hate what is evil, that we hold fast to what is good. We love one another with mutual affection. We outdo one another in showing honor. We are, he says, to rejoice in hope, to be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. And finally, St. Paul writes that we are to always, always contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to the strangers. All of this comes immediately before the passage from Romans chapter 13, in which we are reminded to be subject to the governing authorities. And many of Mr. Sessions' church friends, including the leadership in his own United Methodist Church, are working to remind him that that being subject to the governing authorities does not mean that we always have to agree with the governing authorities. St. Paul says to be subject, but St. Paul does not say to be subservient to the governing authorities when they act unjustly. Don't let anyone tell the world that our scriptures support these policies. They do not. And to make that claim is to sow not seeds of hope, not seeds of peace, not seeds of justice, but seeds of derision, seeds of intolerance, seeds of despair. It's an ugly thing to place upon the scriptures or St. Paul or Jesus or God Almighty any claim that they would endorse these policies. Our government officials can make their cases for this practice in many different ways, but I think, I'm convinced, when they turn to the church, when they turn to the scriptures, when they turn to us who call ourselves followers of the one who said, let the little children come unto me, then we must be persistent in our call to do justice to love kindness, to sow hope, to speak up on behalf of the persecuted and the oppressed among us. To use the scriptures to support these policies is wrong, and I think they will lose the argument every time they try to do so. Catherine, my wife, said to me the other day when I told her some of what I was going to say this morning, well, so much for a nice Father's Day sermon. (laughs) I realized, though, after she said that to me, that, that I think that one of the reasons that I'm so outraged by these policies and the misuse of the New Testament to support them is because I'm a father. It's because I'm a father of two young children, and that breaks my heart as I see pictures and read stories of other young children being taken from their fathers and from their, from their mothers. Any parent who would have that done to them would rightly be outraged. But you don't have to be a parent to be outraged, you don't have to have, you don't have to have children of your own to be disturbed, you just have to be a, a human being. Fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, friends, human beings, children of God, we should all be appalled that this is happening in this good country of ours. We should all be calling for change. Don't be afraid to call for change, even even if you think you're too small, too insignificant to turn things around on your own. The The message that we hear Jesus speaking today is that from small things, from small seeds, from small actions can come big possibilities. You might feel that nothing that you can do would possibly make a difference against all of the injustices in the world. Sow the seeds anyway. You might think that no one will pay attention to you, to your beliefs, to your passions. Sow the seeds anyway. You might feel useless or powerless. Who cares? What what can I possibly do? And Jesus says otherwise today. Jesus says to us today, do not be afraid to do small things at the prompting of God. Sow the seed, Jesus says. Make a move. Take even the smallest step. The author and philosopher Henry David Thoreau once once wrote an essay about how wind and weather and animals move seeds to produce new plants. The essay is called Faith in a Seed. And in that essay, he writes at one point, he says, Though I do not believe that a plant will spring up where no seed has been, I have great faith in a seed. Convince me, he says, that you have a seed there, and I am prepared to expect wonders. Sow the seed. Expect wonders. Grow the kingdom even if it's just in the smallest way that you know how. That's, that's the great mustard seed principle that Jesus shares with us today. And unless and until we go about this important work, then real change, real growth won't happen in our church, in this city, in the nation, or in our very lives. Amen.